Okay, it's time to get ready for the week with some of our big brains here on Money Talk. Uh, Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum, IMA Asia, on the line. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Andrew, and I don't have to say it twice. Hey, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. And, and, and I tarred you both with the, f the feather of being uh, Swifty fans. Over uh, is, that, is that true for either of you, or was I just making that up? I'm afraid not. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, Mark. No, no. I, I'm a, I'm definitely a fan. Not a maybe not outrageous fan, but certainly a fan. Okay, you're not. And I'm imp impress impressed by what she can do. It's amazing, and still show up at football games. Yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the point the point was made that she can sell at a stadium uh, all by herself, whereas her boyfriend needs a whole team and an opposing team to do the same thing in the U.S. Uh, but that's, that's a, right. that's another story. Maybe looking a little bit closer to home, guys. Um, do you want to? Well, I mean, U.S. or China? Where do you want to start, Andrew Sullivan? Where are we going this week? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of caution. People are still waiting to see what uh, stimulus China can really uh, um, introduce to try and uh, you know in, give investors confidence that it's going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, what what is the data that you're looking at from the end of last week that really you know gives a suggestion? Has has, has China picking up again? Finally. Well well, the loans data was was mixed, to be frank, uh, and I think obviously this week uh, GDP, retail sales, and and more importantly, probably the unemployment data, especially as we know that they're not uh, they're not going to give us all the data. So we'll see mm -hmm. what we get from that. Yep, Mark, what what are you looking at? Uh, maybe you you might have this new state-backed stabilization fund on your radar. Yeah, it's it's concerns. Media media reports have suggested there's a there's a state-backed stabilization fund to shore up confidence in the state. In the stock market, this sounds fairly familiar of those of us who were in Hong Kong in 1998, for example. But they would invest in domestic equities uh, through existing financial institutions, professionally managed funds, and so on. Another attempt to stimulate the economy. The, I mean, the report, the most recent reports have not been exactly encouraging. They've been slightly better in some cases than than recent reports, but especially with what Jamie, Jamie Dimon, I think, rightly cited, the, the crisis we have going all over all over the world right now, um, the outlook is not, not very promising. Okay. I think yeah, it's, Andrew? It's quite interesting on the stabilization fund because they're not, you know, it, it's the outlook for companies. This is the baseline there. It's not like uh, we're likely to see threats to the Chinese stock market of people coming in and yeah. trying to raid it. Uh, and it, it really shows you that they're trying to give, uh, you know, the ordinary Chinese person an opportunity to invest something with some uh, protection on the downside, really because they can't sort out the property company. They want to get that money that's tied up in property that's where people are using property as a store of value rather than uh, investment. They need to get that money into the real economy, and that's what they're trying, yeah, trying to do. I, uh, yeah, I agree completely. I think that's that's exactly it. Whether it'll have the intended impact, I don't know, but at least it shows that the government is trying to do something and trying to respond to the consumer who is who's in pretty difficult situation now because of the property situation. Mm. Uh, Mark, you made reference to the stock market intervention in Hong Kong in 1998, just, you know, for maybe some of our younger listeners who were neither, you know, weren't around at the time, uh, Asian financial crisis, stock markets tanking, um, you know, and, and there were specific attacks on trying to drive down the market to break the peg. And, the you know, the Hong Kong government stunned everybody by unexpectedly stepping in to prop it up. And uh, I think Warren, was it? No, it was... Uh, George Soros said that you know he was he was uh, he he lost big on that one and was really impressed with how Hong Kong beat him up. Um, 
but I mean, as Andrew says, you can't really do that. I mean, just to give that background, but you can't really do that in China, can you? I mean, uh, Not if, really. if the government's intervening, how are they going to intervene and how does this make Chinese investors feel more confident? Is it because they're broadly invested in the market and they hope some of that stabilization fund will prop up their stocks? Or do they think they know where the Chinese government fund might place their bets and so they can follow along? I mean, well, it might be a might be a little bit of both, but certainly it's, and Andrew cited it, it's, it's the confidence that they think that the government is making some moves to to make it make it uh, more, make them more confident to invest in the stock market. As Andrew pointed out, it's quite different than in Hong Kong in 1998, where they were trying to protect the uh, the peg, basically. Mm. And, uh, and for Hong Kong, of course, that was revolutionary. They basically threw out positive non-interventionism and intervened in the most direct way a government can, and uh, and threw threw off Milton Friedman, who no longer was a big supporter of Hong Kong after that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I mean, at that point, I think the government owned what twenty percent of the Hong Kong stock market. Yes, yeah, and they made money in the end. And they made money in the know, end with the, with, the, with the tracker fund. With the tracker fund. But I mean, looking at China going forward, I mean, if I feel like okay, great, uh, looks like the government's going to put a floor on how far the market can drop, I'm going to invest in my five favorite tech stocks, and then the Chinese government puts all the money into propping up the property sector. I mean, uh, you well, know, I, don't, I don't think they're going to go for the property sector. I mean, the whole point of Xi Jinping's three red lines was to get money out of property. Mm. Um, and the fact is that, you know, unlike in Hong Kong, where you, know, you buy a, a second uh, apartment and rent it out, in, in China, they don't do that. They just hold it as a store of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he wants to try and get that money out. But I think you're right. I mean, a stabilization fund isn't going to help. I mean, you already have, you know, Team China comes in where they get some of the state pension funds to invest on a regular basis if they think it's going in the wrong direction. And that has a very minimal effect now. So it, it, it's going to be very difficult, I think. So it's more signaling than real impact is what you're suggesting? Yes, because, I mean, you, you know, they don't want to bail out the property companies. They don't, you know, they're, they're quite happy for some of those to probably go bankrupt, to be mm-hmm. frank, uh, and, and, and get people to look at an alternative investment to property as a store of value. Hmm. An- another tool in their arsenal might be uh, fiscal policy and, and borrowing and spending uh, by the government. I mean, do we see them, you know, maybe issuing additional sovereign debt spending it on infrastructure, other means? That's always been rumoured, and I think, I think the difference would be this time that you might well see the central government borrowing rather than the local governments, just because it needs to borrow at a better rate in order to refinance some of those local governments. But it's a, it's a very tough one. It's not something that Beijing likes doing. Hmm, Mark? Yeah, they're caught in a very difficult situation, as I think we've, we've outlined here. And I expected maybe the central government... But uh, the signals are cloudy, and as been pointed out, the actual impact is is certainly uncertain. But you, I think, part of it is confidence building in the government to be seen as as trying to do something to to really uh, really reverse the uh, the sentiment that's going on right now. And as much as they're trying to build confidence in the domestic economy, they're also trying to signal that they're willing to invest in the rest of the world. We've got the Belt and Road Forum. Uh, coming up the next few days. I mean, will that have, I mean, can China be, do, do you think, do you think international players that are coming to that expecting investment from China, will they have confidence given the challenges China has on its domestic front? 
Well, I think you're already seeing China's tightened up on a lot of the projects that it's prepared to invest in. You know, when it, when it started this project, it was pretty much prepared to invest in anything and not worry too much about the returns. Uh, but so many of those projects have gone wrong and haven't, you know, haven't c come up with the returns that it's, it's being a lot more careful. I do think it's quite interesting that the Taliban's going to, uh, going to be in attendance as well. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting play. Mark, Mark are, you, are you looking at this Belt and Road Forum and what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very similar to, to Andrew's. I, I'm given the track record, which, as Andrew has said, has been extremely uneven. If you ever read Nikkei, you'll see it outlined almost every day in, in, one, of, in one of their stories. And so that that's one of the issues, especially now when everything's so volatile, it's going to be very difficult. But they have to put up down a marker. And there are some specific projects that they're focusing on that are wanted by various countries. And I think that's why they're there at the Belt and Road Summit and hope to get um, get some of those funds to help them out. Yeah. And I mean, could the Belt and Road Initiative come out of this sharper, you know, make better investments? Because that, that quite often happens, whether it's a country or a company. When you've got to tighten your belt, you tend to smarten up a little bit, and you know. Well, they're, they're doing a much better impact studies on, on the projects. They're, they're also making sure that where the Chinese construction companies are involved, that they have skin in the game rather than just taking profit out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the flip side is also true. A lot of these countries are going to want uh, more of that investment uh, trickling into their own economies rather than having Chinese construction uh, companies having local construction companies. So it makes a bigger impact locally rather than benefiting China. Hmm. All right. yeah, that, that's an issue, and they're getting blowback from uh, from some of their own 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 people on that. Var various countries that have been recipients appreciate that, but it hasn't the direct impact, especially on people's jobs and on their incomes, hasn't been apparent in many cases. Hmm. Uh, speaking of the impact on people and their jobs, uh, you know, their consumer loan positions. Are are you guys concerned? I mean, I, I haven't talked to you guys for a little while. Uh, maybe get an update on where how you feel about either consumer loans or property sector and the property loans in debt there. I mean, do, are either one of those posing systemic, systemic risks still? I don't. I mean, I don't think property is property loans aren't a big concern because you know the tightness on uh, the amount of money that people have to put down on second and third properties in China is it's it's basically a cash investment. It may not be a great cash investment, but you're not going to put people into financial straits from that. I think it's more a case of people not wanting to borrow, um, and that again is a is a sign of confidence. Hmm. Mark. Yeah, and I, I think the last point that Andrew made is, is important because the signs of confidence that we're looking for, it's not only borrowing, but obviously it's spending as well. And consumer spending, we saw that, that price, consumer prices came in pretty flat in September, but also that's partly because China is still suffering from both weak external and internal demand. And that really has to begin to turn around pretty substantially. Mm. And a lot of that is, is confidence. And it knocks on again into you know you know the the companies behind that because if they're not seeing people spending, you know they're not going to up their production. They're not going to invest in the in in, in the new designs that's maybe needed, and and that creates another hiccup down the road. Hmm. All right, we're definitely uh, you know we're always checking in on China here on Money Talk. We got a couple of minutes left. I do want to have a quick look at uh, the United States uh, dysfunction in Congress. Mark, uh, that's that's kind of your ballywick. Uh, specifically, how does that impact? I mean, is that going to impact government functioning and thereby uh, funding bills that should be going through Congress but aren't? Um, you know, whether that's money to go to Ukraine or now military support for Israel. What What's your take on what's going on over there? And can we expect things to settle down anytime soon? 
or what or whatever because as you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> as you know if there's if there's not a speaker the house cannot operate mm -hmm. they can't even pass a resolution let alone any any spending bills or others and obviously that affects internationally as, as well as domestically there's no clear resolution of this in the near term now maybe we'll be surprised and suddenly uh, all the republicans will come around for a jim jordan or for someone else but until that happens um, nothing's nothing's going to move forward, and the longer that lasts, the more difficult it is, and very difficult times. So yes, it has been an impact on all of us, and of course for Hong Kong in particular, we are we are linked to the uh, U.S. dollar, which also is fairly important in this process. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping something something comes up, and then it matters who the next speaker is too for what's going to happen with all those other issues you, you cited, Andrew. Doesn't doesn't seem to be hitting the markets. Yet, is that only going to uh, maybe start to impact markets when uh, it gets a little bit closer to you know funding the the current extension of the funding? Uh, runs well, I'll let, let, let Andrew talk about that, but I, but I will say that partly because I think the intention is on so much else that's going on right well, he's now. Got, he's got about 15 seconds to do it, so Andrew, close yeah. us out. Yeah, he's right. I mean, uh, the, the focus this week will be on earnings, and that's going to be the main driver. All right, so uh, don't worry too much about American politics yet, maybe in the future, but do keep an eye on earnings. Uh, we've got corporate and also inflation data coming up from a number of countries this week. That's great to keep an eye out for. Thank you very much to Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense and confirmed Taylor Swift fan, but not super fan, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum, IMA Asia.